0: Hey buddy, I hoid the droughts moving in, muscling in on your turf. To make matters worse, the man keeps telling you to limit your spigot. That drought is bad news, no fooling. But me and my boys can help. The water boys, on the water zone. Thursday nights at six. We'll help you protect your turf and save water. And hey, don't worry about it. Consider it a
1: gift. Yeah, Louie, you heard the boss. We gotta listen in at 6 p.m. on Thursday nights. Okay, Vinny, you got it. The water zone, Tuesday nights at 6 p.m. I'll tell our lawn it's now protected. C News Radio Broadcasting Studios of KCAA, 1050 AM, 102.3 FM, and 106.5 FM, located in beautiful downtown San Bernardino. Thanks for tuning into The Water Zone Show. Good afternoon, I'm Rob Starr, and uh, Mr. Mike Barron, uh, who's also known as Mikeypedia, is off today because this is our Ag Show Week. So, uh, we have our uh, new hosts uh, for the Ag Week, which is Miss Inge Bisconer and Mr. Paul McFadden, and I think they just joined me online. And welcome team, how are you?
2: We're doing great, Rob. How are
1: you? We're doing good, <laughs> nice and warm up here. How is it down by you?
2: Well, a little overcast, but we can handle a little bit of that. But we, we'd welcome another rainstorm. We'll never, we'll never turn another one down.
1: No, we had the drizzles last night. Did pretty decent. Yep. So. Anyway, we got an exciting show. I'm anxious to listen to it, and uh, I'll let you explain who you have. have You have a wonderful guest, so I'll turn it over to you for now.
2: Yeah, we're really excited about this guest, Rob. Um, Paul and I have had the privilege and honor of uh, meeting and working with um, our guest, who is uh, Karen Ross. She is the Secretary of the California Department of Food and Ag, so she is basically the uh, top leadership in the state of california's um, uh ag environment uh welcome to the show Karen.
3: Thank you so much and it's nice to be with you
2: welcome Thanks, well, listen, Paul. Uh, for for those of you who don't know you as well I'd like to um give folks our listening audience a little bit of a background on you and then we can dive into some some conversations on some great topics huh yeah. <laughs> All right, so uh, first of all, I guess uh, what's really important is Karen hails from uh, a farm in Nebraska. We we always like farm folks. So, uh, But uh, Secretary Ross was appointed uh, Secretary to the California Department of Food and Ag in January of 2011 by Governor Brown. She has deep leadership experience in agricultural issues nationally, internationally, and here in California. And prior to joining CDFA, Secretary Ross was Chief of Staff for U.S. Agricultural Secretary Tom Vilsack in Washington, D.C., a position she accepted in 2009. And prior to that appointment, she served as President of the California Association of Wine Grape Growers from 96 to 2009, and as VP of the Ag Council of California from 89 to 96. So before moving to California, Secretary Ross served as Director of Government Relations for the Nebraska Rural Electric Association and as field representative for U.S. Senator Edward Zerinsky. And we just happen to uh, know from being there or from hearing in the news that um, Secretary Ross, you were also honored recently by the California Climate and Ag Network. And we know that today was a big news day for climate, so uh, uh, kudos to you for receiving that award. And uh, also at the California Association of Resource Conservation Districts back, and I think that was in November, you were also honored there. So uh, a great background um, for leading California's uh, ag department, food and ag department. Um, uh, Thank you for your services, and welcome to the show.
3: Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to join you.
2: You know, we've had you're in good company. We've also had, I think, John Laird and Felicia Marcus and a few of the California.
4: Wade, Wade Crowfoot was uh, one of our uh, initial honorees. Uh, uh-huh.
2: uh, yeah, Wade and, uh, and AG, your friend AG Paul. Sure. So we've had other officials from the state, but never at your level uh, for food and ag. So you know, your your profile and um, uh, your bio and your background states that you're passionate about fostering the reconnection of consumers to the land and the people who produce their food and to improving the access of all california citizens to healthy nutritious california grown agricultural products so secretary ross tell us how you engage in this passion
3: well first of all i love food and i know how lucky i am to live in california with the bounty and the quality and the choices um, that we have here and um, I also am keenly aware of how far removed most of us are from having grown up on a farm, working on a farm, or even having family members who are in farming, and, and that you know causes us to be a little bit disconnected from where to, where our food comes from, how it's produced, and who are the people that are producing it. So I'm always looking for those opportunities to talk to our 40 million Californians about what our 77,600 farms have going on throughout the season. Um, Some of the the programs that I've really been proud to be a part of, um, one is really taking our California Grown Promotion Program. It's a marketing order that really puts the spotlight on the farmers and telling the farmer stories, partnering with chefs to really have people understand what's in season, what part of the state it's coming from, and the really fascinating stories of the farmers that are behind that. We have a partnership with Visit California because so many of our visitors to California come here specifically because we are a food and culinary um, tourism destination, and, of course, that includes whether it's visiting wineries or enjoying craft beers, um, going on a farm trail tour, whatever it might be. So really thinking about how we leverage all of our state's resources to showcase agriculture in the state. But one of the things we've done um, with the State Board of Food and Agriculture is a partnership with food banks in the state. Their statewide association has some fabulous staff. And we've really worked hard over a five-year period of time to double the contributions from farms to food banks of fresh produce and fresh-grown California products from 100 million pounds to 200 million pounds. In fact, we went past that in 2016. We also have established a farm-to-fork office, Um, so we're very active and helping to improve what's offered in our school lunches and other school feeding programs, um, and really making sure that we take advantage of everything that's grown here to make it more delicious and more interesting for our students. Um, Those are just a few examples of um, some of the areas that we've been able to put some focus on since I've been secretary, and it's been very, very rewarding. I love it. I could do that all day long.
2: (laughs) Well, I'm glad you're doing that because, you know, as Western Growers state, stated recently, you know, never in our history have um so few people been engaged, you know, and connected mm-hmm. to the farm as you stated previously, but at the same time they've never been so interested and engaged on where their food comes from. So, right. Uh it's it's a unique conundrum and uh sounds like all that work is going to help uh fill that gap.
3: Well, we try our best. <laughs>
4: I was uh, recently up in uh, northern California in the Petaluma area and uh, discovered something that I thought was very interesting. You met, mentioned the, the tourism and agritours.
2: Uh-huh.
4: I found the cheese trail. Uh, oh. And, and it, I was just fascinated by that. There's all the different types of cheeses from mm-hmm. goats and sheep and, of course, cattle. But right. then there's uh, folks that make soap while you're on this trail. So yes. if any of our listeners want to... Uh, Engage in something that's uh, quite interesting, and uh, and interested in the agritourism side. I would strongly encourage The, the cheese trail of all things. So.
3: I know who, who knew, but there are so many new artisan cheesemakers there, and it's really helped save the dairy industry on the North Coast. So, um, good fit for the community, and and those are exactly the kinds. of, of events and activities people are looking for. We have some fabulous farmers markets, certified farmers markets in the state, and some of those have grown to be um, a destination that I've been at the Davis Farmers Market, for example, on a Saturday morning, and I've been standing in line with people from other countries saying, we've heard about this market and now we've been to it. Um, One of the fun things that our cut flower growers do now is sponsor um, farm to base dinners, and they actually set up the long tables in the flower fields. You can imagine what a spectacular setting that is to enjoy locally grown food and wine. So we've got it all in California, so why wouldn't we want to share that with more people?
2: <laughs> Absolutely, and love seeing that you are representing California uh, flowers on at the on the rose parade.
3: Yes! Oh my God, that is that has to be one of the best perks of my job. But somebody <laughs> has to do it, right, Enga? <laughs>
2: that, that is a fun event. I have had the privilege of attending that as well. That's
3: cool.
4: Just a uh, just a follow up question on, on uh-huh. uh, you, seeing the the level of uh, contributions to food banks uh, has over doubled uh, <laughs> in in, uh, in twenty sixteen mm-hmm. with the. Uh, the obesity problem that uh, we're facing as a, as a state but also as a country with children. I'm curious uh, what your thoughts are there with uh, the uh, uh, the five-a-day fresh servings and the school lunch program. If you could comment a little bit about that. I'm sure you're very involved in that, and I'd be interested to hear what uh, what kind of feedback you're getting from, uh, from the schools and from the kids that are benefiting from all this uh, fresh produce.
3: Yeah, we are so uh, lucky in California to have what we have, um, the quality of it and the variety of it. Um, And I happened to be chief of staff the year that, for the first time in decades, we did a renewal of the um, school lunch program that added just a few more pennies to what a school nutrition director has to spend on lunch. And I will say I have met some of the most creative um, passionate, innovative leaders and the school nutrition directors. Um, one one of my good friends who happened to serve on the state board of food and agriculture with me, Rodney Taylor, was in the Riverside School District, and we we have done videos on him because we we tagged him the salad bar king. He was one of the early pioneers of bringing salad bars into schools, and not just the schools where people have a higher per capita income, but making sure that they were in all of the schools, regardless of what the socioeconomic circumstances were. Rodney, unfortunately, has moved on to the state of Virginia, but he's still spreading the good word about fresh produce and salad bars. But we also have people like Alice Waters as a chef, who has been a pioneer, and if we bring kids in, they help grow it using gardens as a teaching tool. They learn how to grow it. They become part of harvesting it, taking it into the lunchroom, washing it, preparing a salad. All of a sudden, that becomes more interesting again. There are so many opportunities for us to really build upon that and we've got tremendous support in many of the schools around the state. One of our specialty crop block grants um, about three and a half years ago Went to the Eco Literacy Center in the Bay Area and they started a program called California Thursdays. And it was a challenge to get school nutrition directors to think about at least one Thursday a month offering everything on the school plate being California grown. And that's grown to be offered in 71 school districts. Many of them are doing it every Thursday. It's a fabulous win for the students. The school nutrition directors like it. The administrators like it because when kids eat better, they perform better academically um, and discipline-wise. And, of course, it's a win for the local farmers to have another marketing channel. So there's a lot of things we can do when we just get smart and strategic and look at what we can build on and, by working together, what we can do to help our kids, and that's what it's all about.
4: I agree. I agree. Toro, it's something that... uh... We don't publicize a whole bunch, but uh, Toro has partnered with Western Growers over the last five years and donated irrigation kits to schools throughout California. Uh, I think the, at last count we were at uh, 350 uh, school gardens where uh, uh, teachers will take uh, ownership of a school garden and teach kids the benefits of healthy eating and nutrition and where their food comes from. And I think. Uh, it's a really a hugely beneficial program because we see some of those same results that you, you just mentioned, Secretary Rossby. Yeah. how well uh, these kids are engaged and how they learn, not just about growing food, but science and math and yes. all kinds of other things.
0: So, Yeah.
3: You know, young people respond very much to experiential learning. There's nothing like learn by doing. Um so, yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan. I I will also note that school gardens are a great, great example of how we can better connect our agricultural community to urban communities. You know, when, when you think about how urbanized as a state we are, looking for those, those kinds of opportunities to make connections and build stronger communities, I think it's really important, too. So there's multiple multiple benefits that come from those kinds of programs. So thank you for your support. <laughs> if,
1: if I can interject, we, uh, as Toro, uh, worked with Rodney Taylor on a, uh, a project with the River Springs Charter School here in Riverside, and uh, we helped them develop their educational gardens. And, and you're right, he was a, a, a driving point and person for making the, uh, the vegetables to the uh, to the kids, and uh, the kids really enjoyed it. And then he has a, a, a super chef called Chef Ryan, who uh-huh. who's, if you, I don't know if you ever met him, but he is—he could be at a five-star restaurant. The guy is incredible. But he's—he's he's in charge of their nutrition uh, services and training. And I got to tell you, that program with Rodney has just boomed through the city of Riverside for the last couple of years. So I, I just wanted to interject and give him—give him a kudos for that. Yeah, that's
3: great. That's exciting stuff. Thank you, um, Secretary Ross. A, <laughs> thank you. Thank
4: you. Uh, what are what are your pri- priorities now of the, the department since we've had all this rain, uh, um, you know, which kind of is culminating now, but followed, uh, or preceded, I should say, by five, six, even seven years of drought. In some parts of the state, some parts we uh, of the state, we have flooding. You mentioned the the uh, the wine grape growers association. We've had flooding in Napa, uh, you know we talk about the uh, Lake Oroville spillway uh, you know there's still uh, groundwater issues in uh, some parts of the Central Valley where they're still considered under the drought so we've got a hugely diverse uh, challenge in front of you too much water, not enough water uh, flooding uh how does uh how does your department uh look at that, and and what do you, if you were to summarize the situation we're in, uh, how how would you put that together?
3: Um, well, I'd say this is climate change, and um, that's part of um, what has been, I mean, not only is it an honor to serve as the Secretary of Agriculture for this great state, but to serve with my colleagues across the Cabinet and for Governor Brown, who's really been focused on how we take a more integrated resource management approach to our water situation, how we collaborate on not only mitigating climate change, but adaptation for climate change, safeguarding California. And that was one of the things, um, while the drought was a very harsh experience for everyone in the state, I think we really worked together and recognized we were all in it together. And as a co-chair of the Drought Task Force, I had an opportunity to travel to Every county and meet with local job task force forces to meet with farm workers who didn't have jobs and they didn't have water in their disadvantaged communities. So we are constantly planning and looking at how do we build resiliency because we know drought or floods are right around the corner, um, all the time. And I think our California water action plan really set out a set of priorities that start with conservation as a way of life. Um, but also understanding that there's so much more we can do to capture stormwater and use it to recharge our groundwater basins, that I think the drought has really helped change the mindset and the acceptance of recycled water, um, and and we've made a lot of rule changes to be able to rededicate those molecules to really understand how our stewardship of the forests and headwaters actually improves water availability, um, on, on our valley floor, um, and and how doing restoration to make sure that our fish species also can survive drought are all priorities that were identified in the water action plan before we knew we were going to enter the drought. So that lays out a lot of the issues that we're working on, um, and of course it was during the drought that we received our first allocation of greenhouse gas um, emission reduction dollars to establish the statewide water use efficiency program and we've had tremendous results from that and hope that we can continue it. So we want to continue those kinds of things and support the efforts of our local communities, farmers, local government, disadvantaged communities of doing the hard work of implementing the Sustainable Groundwater Management Act. You know, that's a big change in, in the midst of everything else that we're taking on and I'm Just so impressed by how these local communities have come together to meet their first deadline, which is uh, June 30th of this year, to have their governance structure in place, and then spending the next three years of creating their sustainable groundwater management plan that will, you know, have benchmarks in it so that over a 20-year period of time we can bring all of our groundwater basins into a sustainable balance. There's a lot of work to do, and that's just on water. Let me tell you about everything else we're doing at the Department of Food and Agriculture. But when it comes to water, climate change is a platform that allows us to interact with colleagues from around the world. Um, we've, we've visited other countries to learn from them. We host seminars with them. Um, There's much to learn and there's much to do. We will never be bored at the Department of Food and Agriculture.
2: (laughs) No, you guys have a laundry list for sure, and uh, important work and exciting work. Uh, And I'd like, later in the hour, I'd like to ask you a follow up question about the SWEET program that you Uh just mentioned. But before we go to to break, maybe, um, you know, from your seat, what sort of trends do you see uh, coming in California Ag as far as? Will there be major cropping shifts in the future sure. or, or even, um, interstate shifts? Are, are people going to yeah. leave the state yeah. or come into the state? Uh, what's happening there in your, from your yeah. seat?
3: So there are two big drivers, but two major drivers of change. They're not the only ones, but they're very significant drivers of change in agriculture that we've seen, um, over the last five years and will continue to see. One is availability of water. Um, and how that impacts cropping choices land values um, everything so water availability as well as water quality and the other one is labor availability which is now with other labor changes including um, minimum wage and um, changes in overtime laws that that increase that that part of the cost of production are two of the major drivers. I like to use an example over the last thirty years, um, one landscape change that that people go, that's why I'm seeing so many trees is in the drought that was occurring in the state in nineteen eighty nine when I moved here, we had one and a half, one point four million acres of cotton. And we had less than four hundred thousand acres of almonds. And currently, we have approximately, I think this year, they think we'll get to 250,000 acres of cotton, and we have 1.4 million acres of almond trees. The water is going to the highest and best use, and it is responding to where the markets are and where California has a strategic advantage. So our tree crops, grapes, whether it's table grapes, um, raisins or wine grapes, um, leafy greens, citrus, you know, the, the horticultural crops is where we're going to see that continued shift, but also which crops can already be mechanized, like processing tomatoes, or um, are very close to having more mechanization, automation, and the availability of robots to help do a lot of the, the tasks that we simply don't have the hands available to help us with.
2: Yeah, you know, you talk about the highest value we've... Um... We've been talking with some growers who also are, you know, it's kind of a paradigm shift for a ranch manager to say that I, I want to choose my crops based on the return per acre foot rather yes. than return per acre. So yes. water, <laughs> but water is now our most limiting factor, and um, yes. that's evident in, in in just in just the management out there. Yeah, so,
3: yeah. And technology is really the answer in all of that because it's the technology of how we use every drop of water, too, that allows us, that's what allowed us to get through the drought. Uh, May I say drip irrigation is one example. Um, So that technology will continue to be (laughs) the driver of change.
2: Yes, I mean, if we're going to have 1.4 million acres of almonds, which use, you know, four acre feet of water an acre, and that's more than cotton did, we have to find that, that extra water somehow, and we have to be watching every drop that's applied. And, yes, you're right. Drip irrigation is, is one of the <laughs> technologies yeah. as well as other technologies too, sure, of course. to course, help our farmers be the most efficient yeah. uh, water use efficiency people on the planet. Yeah. Uh, well, I think yeah. we are in California for sure.
3: Uh, they're so innovative, yeah.
2: Yeah, so I think we're ready to go to a break, but we have lots of other topics coming, uh, including the water bond and uh, a little bit about your trip to Israel and Australia, perhaps, and the fleet program. So hang in there, everybody, and we'll be back in about
3: three minutes. Okay, great.
1: Hi, welcome back to the Water Zone on KCAA. And I hope everybody's having a great time. This is a great guest, very interesting. And Paul, you know, I was thinking about that obesity thing, and I tell my wife, she tells me I need to be in shape, and I tell her I am, I'm round. But I don't think she she buys that. Anyway, anybody that wants to call in, they can at 909-888-5222. Or if you're calling outside the area code of 909, you can please call 888-909-1050 a.m. And back to uh, our wonderful guest, Secretary Karen Ross, and our great team of Inge Bisconer and Paul McFadden. Thank you, Rob. Um,
4: Moving on to the uh, the next topic, uh, Karen... Uh What is the status of the water bond uh, that was uh, voted on a, a few years ago? Mm-hmm. The improvements that the voters approved, and uh, and the tunnels, the infrastructure, conveyance, storage. Where where are we with that? I know that we could probably talk about that for an entire hour, but uh, just like to get your thoughts on that.
3: Sure. So um, the. The develop of the water bond um, really was informed by the California Water Action Plan and and the various titles for how monies could be allocated. So first and foremost, for the first time in probably thirty years, maybe more, we had a water bond that actually had dedicated new funding for water storage, and the the um, process that was identified in the bond that was passed by by a nice margin of the voters actually laid out a timeline um for um a couple things and the most important one was what would be the criteria that would define public benefit of any storage project that was a process that was done through the california water commission and they finished their process according to the prescribed deadlines in the bond, Um, and that was completed um, in December of 2016. And so that was an important piece of that because the bond specified that up to 50% of a project to qualify for Proposition 1 funding should have public benefit. So they had to define what is public benefit, go through a public process of doing that, so that could inform potential projects what they needed to look at in putting together their proposals. We also know that these large-scale infrastructure projects um, take a lot of time to put together the financing of those, and so now we'll be going through that competitive process of putting together those projects and submitting them to the California Water Commission for funding. So that's $2.7 billion um, that was part of that bond um, that will Complete that process, and there are, you know, there are large scale surface water as well as groundwater projects that will that will be submitting for that. We've also had considerably, and I can't give you the exact dollar amount because most of that goes through either the Department of Water Resources or the State Water Resources Control Board. But there have been ongoing allocations already put out throughout the state of California for projects, whether they were for recycling water for flood control purposes, for restoration purposes. Um, so the money is going out for projects, um, but many people only focus on where's the new dam that's being built or whatever it might be. Um, and that had a very specific um, set of deadlines and what was the responsibility of the state so that the private sector or local governments could come in and and. Proposed projects. So we're on track with with getting that money out and to give use. Um, That funding does not have um, any connection to the California water fix um, that we are awaiting as we speak. Um, The permit approval or or conditions um, from the federal government, and we're very hopeful that we will hear the results of that review in the very near future, um, yet this summer.
2: huh. So uh, on to another topic. Um, as we faced our drought these last years, seems that we turned our attention to other countries who have been facing water shortages uh, for years, if not decades, uh, Israel and Australia. And I know that you were on a couple of uh, uh, fact-finding and, and maybe... Uh, you know, relationship-building uh, relations, um, trips to those places lately. Can you tell us a little bit about what you might have learned or saw and any any big takeaways for um, sure. us yeah. in California from those trips? Yeah.
3: So I was in Israel almost exactly a year ago. Um, I had a great delegation that traveled with me to Israel, and we spent a lot of time um Really, it was about water, ag, and technology. Israel has a huge investment and a lot of energy around their innovation culture and economy. And so a lot of, um, a lot of visits on plant breeding, a lot of visits on water technology, um, and spending time in the desert and really understanding that the vast majority of the world's population lives in arid climates. And they've got dedicated research institute on adaptation to to deserts and making them habitable. Um, I will tell you there's a couple things from Israel that really struck me. One is a culture from the time they are babies to really understand and appreciate how precious every drop of water is, that water is life, and we all are stewards of every drop that we use. Everything if, it's, if it has any water getting to it, it's on drip or micro-drip or micro-sprinkler, but mostly we saw drip. Um, and also how this country um, recycles every drop of water. So you see purple pipe in the middle of the Nigab Desert. I mean, it is everywhere, recycled water. And, of course, the advances they've made in desalination. They have gone from a country of water scarcity to a a country of water security, and it's because of their technology for recycling and desal made a tremendous improvement in their water security and their ability to serve all those uses. We were in Australia um, two months ago, um, and there it was how carefully they use every drop of water and the investments they've made so that there is no water waste. Um, They've made tremendous advances in um, the delivery of their water to their irrigation canals and mechanizing that and automating that. But I will also tell you one of my takeaways from both of those countries, and there's much to learn, is what we have in California that has made it so easy for us to take it for granted. We have two things they don't have. Snowpack, except certain years, which we recall from the drought when we didn't have snowpack, and that ability to feed our reservoirs and our canals, and groundwater, which makes it even more important that we successfully implement the Sustainable Groundwater Management Act because we have a reservoir that we can steward to carry us through future droughts, but we have to be intentional about recharging that reservoir so we have it as our buffer zone. (laughs)
2: Yes, I mean, that's our savings account. What we basically did was draw upon our savings account during, exactly. during the drought, and we have to, and, you know, your friend Don Cameron has been doing some great work. He was also a guest yes. and using the winter rainfalls to replenish the groundwater, yes. even on and orchards.
3: Yes, yes. So what's happening with, with the potential for on-farm groundwater recharge is, is exciting. It's a tremendous opportunity collecting this data to make sure it's clean recharge. We're not exacerbating any of our nitrate issues in the groundwater, and really showing the best places to get the quickest recharge is. And you know, it's, it's a it's a whole new chapter in water and agriculture for California.
2: I have to comment on your um, culture. Um, uh-huh. it, it, um, there's um, in Seth Siegel's book. There's the nursery rhyme that. Uh, yes. <laughs> that, that, our, that our children we like, rain rain go away come back another day and yeah. And in Israel, there's a rhyme that says oh, precious drop of water, we want everyone, or something like that. Yeah, I mean, and
3: you see it everywhere. Yeah, it's amazing. It is amazing.
2: We've been spoiled. We take it a little bit for granted, but I think um, this was a wake-up call these last seven years, and I I don't think anybody who's lived through it will ever uh, take rain for granted again. Yeah, I hope not.
4: (laughs) Well, I think the the folks in Israel in the Middle East in general have been in droughts for hundreds and hundreds of years, Mm -hmm. perhaps even longer. You know, in Australia, their drought lasted, what, 15, 20 years? So, uh, we uh, we had a drought for five years, and, uh, um, you know, maybe it's a good thing, uh, kind of a silver lining, if you will, to really uh, uh, wake up uh, the citizens of the state and say, hey, this is something we really need to pay attention to.
3: Yeah. As our population well, and, and, you know, it's, it's interesting to me when I think about our water in this state, we're disconnected of, you know, we just turn on the tap and it's there. We go to the grocery store and the food is there. And the drought really helped us all come to realize where our water comes from and how important snowpack is in the Sierra Nevadas, that it falls in the northern part of the state and it moves through this sophisticated system to get to where we are. And it really, I I think that really helped people know we're in this together. We all have a role to play in using every drop carefully, yeah.
2: And it's also so connected to our energy sources. We use, what, a third of our space energy in moving water around. So conserving water is conserving energy, which you just said for the climate issue is imperative that we do.
3: Reduces greenhouse gas emissions. You're on it, Enga. You're sharp. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I've been reading your website. Okay. (laughs)
4: I'd like to uh, uh kind of uh, follow up with a question okay. on technology. As you've traveled throughout the state, throughout the country and even to some of the foreign countries, mm-hmm. are some uh, new technologies or even existing technologies that uh, maybe aren't used in agriculture that uh, you see as really exciting and innovative and and uh, really a game changer for us mm-hmm. as an ag community.
3: Yeah. So, um, you know, stating the the obvious, um, you know, drone satellite imagery um, and and getting the preciseness from that to make, you know, day-to-day management decisions, um, what I find farmers are looking for, because we're all connected with our handheld device, whatever it might be, is how do you collect all this data, the relevant data, and integrating it in a way that you can make management decisions in real time from your handheld device. Um, And that's what farmers are looking for. Um, And and so that ability to synthesize all this data, analyze it, and make very timely decisions in a very convenient kind of way. Um, Sensor technology. We, We make jokes around here. What we want are sensors that are so cheap you could throw it away, but so durable you could run over it with a tractor. And I am thinking on some of the experimental plots that we saw in Israel in particular of deploying sensor technology and ways to read the sap in every branch, every leaf, to understand both its health as well as the water movement. Um, and really, sensor technology can help us all make even better and more precise decisions, um, just that... that some of it's just the rudimentary stuff, too, and that is leak detection and taking good care and making sure we've got the right size pump and we are constantly maintaining our drip lines so that we're not wasting water, that we're detecting leaks right away and we're on it immediately and there's new technologies that people are helping with applications on that front. Um, the continued improvement of being able to forecast weather would be a really great thing, don't you think?
2: Yes, uh, that
3: would be better. I don't helpful. ask so <laughs> much.
2: Well, from what I understand, the farmers are really uh, keen on getting all this big data stuff into their hands, but they don't really want to analyze the data. They would exactly. like a recommendation, you know, a decision support network or something, analyze it and give a recommendation that they can say yay or nay to.
3: So. Yeah, or, or that at least it, it dumps it all into a place in an integrated way that connects. Because you know they got lots of streams of data. How do you put it together so that you know a farm is a biological whole system, and we get our data and and bits and pieces from different ways. So how do you put that all together to make the best decision possible in the most timely way possible? It's a, it's a conundrum. There's no doubt about it. <laughs>
2: A poor farmer. a you know he or she's a general manager of you know an operation that includes uh, finance and agronomy mm-hmm. and mechanics mm-hmm. and weather and marketing and seeds and logistics. Logistics. Who has time to be worrying about um, the minutia of how much water does my plant need today? So we we have to, <laughs> right. we have to help right. him, him or her with that.
0: Right. Right.
2: Well, yeah. let's see. Uh, we have a few more minutes until our next break, so mm-hmm. let's dive in a little bit to the sweep program. You were just oh, talking sure. about that as um, you know, as part of uh, the greenhouse gas. That's what funded it, right? So, tell us a little bit about that. What what it has funded and what have been uh, the results and benefits of it?
3: Sure. So, um, it's it's been a really well received uh, program, and I think it's doing a lot of good for for the state of California and for the agricultural community in particular. So the statewide water efficiency program was um, established as part of emergency measures in 2014, and it was funded with $10 million um, from the Greenhouse Gas Emission Reduction Fund. So it was the first time that we were setting up a grant program that was asking farmers, obviously we wanted them... Um, to answer questions about how much water do you anticipate you'll conserve, but we also ask them how much energy would you save, and that would help them calculate what the greenhouse gas emission reductions would be because those funds can only go to efforts to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. So we got that first $10 million, and since that time, our program has received a total of $67.5 million, and, um, when you look at, you know, installing a new pump or, or converting from flood to, to drip or micro sprinkler, that's about $1,000 an acre. So having a cost share um, has really helped incentivize more farmers to adopt this kind of technology. For the money that's been available, we've had almost 1,400 applications and we've been able to fund right at about 520. So we're way oversubscribed. That just shows how popular the program is. Um, and it's actually generated a a match dollar because we're only sharing part of the cost of this of over $31.5 million in matching funds. So to date, we've got projects on over 100,000 acres, um, and the anticipated savings over a 10-year period of time will be a reduction of greenhouse gas emissions by 700,000 metric tons of carbon dioxide equivalent 800,000 acre-feet of water being saved um, over a 10-year period. So I'd say that's a good record for us to build on. How about you? <laughs>
2: Congratulations. That's yeah. outstanding.
3: Yeah, that's yeah. fantastic.
2: Where did the $31.5 million matching funds come from?
3: that That's what the farmer or, or landowner, but the farmer themselves, is putting wow. into oh. a project because we do not fund 100% of a project. I will say... We have um, partnered with resource conservation districts and Cooperative Extension um, to make sure that we're making making this program easily available and and provide assistance to help very small-scale farmers and farmers where English is not their first language to make sure that they've got the same opportunities to apply for these. So we've got a really great distribution of size of farms, geographic location of farms, farms and disadvantaged communities that have been able to qualify for these dollars. And I'm very proud of that.
2: So bottom line, this program has really instigated the investment of, if my math is right, almost $100 million in new technology and on-farm investment Yeah. That probably wouldn't have happened otherwise, two-thirds of it really uh, state-funded and one-third by the farmer. Yeah. Whereas before that, it seemed like all the money always used to go to the water district rather than to the farm.
3: Yeah. And in fact, Ingo, we are trying a pilot project now where we took a small amount of our last allocation of funding and partnered with the Department of Water Resources Um, to incentivize an irrigation district applying for DWR dollars that would improve the efficiency of their delivery system, and then um, leveraging that with the farmers in that district. So you would really try to see if we could get even more bang for the dollar of improving delivery as well as on-farm real-time water use. So that's something that we've been trying.
2: (laughs) Yeah, no, I've I've seen some of those and it's it's doing very well. So we're going to have a little short break, um, okay. and we'll come back and uh, talk to you about a couple of other great topics.
3: Okay, that's great. Thanks.
1: Hi, welcome back to the Water Zone Show, and uh, today we have Secretary Karen Ross. And we're uh, joining with our MRB group, uh, Ms. Inge Biskoner and Mr. Paul McFadden. We do have a caller. And if anybody else wants to call in, please do so at 909-888-5222. And if you're outside that area, code 888-909-1050. And our first caller is Mikey Mikeypedia Baron. <laughs> Hi, Mike. Join us.
0: Hey. Good evening. Good evening. Yes, I'm finding the uh, discussion very intriguing and, and enlightening. I... Took interest in the comments about what's been learned or been uh, seen in Israel, and you know, one of the um, things that Israel did, of course, was um, raise their water price to a level that uh, encouraged <laughs> that water conservation. I think um, the last two years they've been able to lower their price, but it's around the eight dollars per cubic per hundred cubic foot uh, when you take any consideration the exchange rate. And my question is, is this. Has the state of California, I'm sure they have, but the issue around pricing of water, we have 422 different water agencies. They control their pricing through boards and um, elected officials and so it's not like Israel where the state can wave its magic wand and say, okay, the price is going to be X. Uh, the water rights are pre-established, so I understand the complexity, but maybe, um, Secretary Ross, if you could share a little bit about the perspective that the state has on using pricing as a signal about the value of water.
3: Sure. So, obviously, that's been an active topic of discussion um, and some controversy throughout the drought. and. Um, you identified the very issue. Um, that is one thing I should have mentioned. Both Australia and Israel have a much more simplified government structure over water, especially in Israel, so that there's one body in Israel that that determines allocations and pricing and everything that goes with that. And actually, we have several thousand uh, water districts, agencies, local governments that that govern the water and the pricing of that. Um, I think it is inevitable, and we've already seen how prices started to change during the drought. We know that um, one of the major issues has been that if you were conserving water and using less, um, you were actually still paying the, the same price or more, um, and the district itself wasn't selling enough water to cover all of its costs. And that's a you know that's an issue of being able to um, do tiered water pricing and have pricing that would incentivize more conservation. Um, and there's there's been some limits on that, and that's a topic that's actually in discussion, I think, even during this legislative session. But I think just the, the delivery of water um, and less water being available, Will continue to drive significant changes in the price of water, and mm-hmm. and it will happen in a in a much more um, multi layered way than it has in Israel <laughs> or even in Australia.
0: Well, thank you very much. It's good to know that you know those key issues are being discussed and thought about, and and I agree with your what you're saying. So, thank you. Appreciate yeah, that. thanks
3: for calling in,
4: uh, Karen. I have a quick uh, question for you. This. Uh You've been so busy and so active uh, during your time as secretary. What are some of the things that you're uh, most uh, proud of during that period of time as a secretary of the department?
3: Well, um, I'm most proud to work for the people I work for, and that is the farmers and ranchers and the eaters of the state and the great people I work with at CDFA. We went through first two years of dramatic cutbacks in our budget, and the staff here maintain professionalism, dedication, commitment, um, and so I'm proud that we were able to work our way through that, and we're still a great team, and we're still effectively serving the people of California. But there have been some, some new things that we've taken on, and one is all around our agenda for climate-smart agriculture, you know, launching the SWEEP program, we are in the process, and hopefully by July 1st, we will release a draft of our Request for Proposal for a Healthy Soils Initiative, which is very much about drought and climate resiliency, um, and really positioning agriculture as part of the solution that it's important that we we reduce greenhouse gas emissions but that we also we sequester carbon and that's what that's what well managed agland can do. The launch of our dairy digester program so that we're generating renewable energy on our farms. But going back to some of the things we've done in our schools and creating partnerships with the food banks. Um, and a lot of the work we've done um, to improve access of consumers to directly buy from farmers, whether it's farmers' markets or con- um, community-supported agriculture, establishing our Office of Environmental Farming and Innovation, all the work we've done on our fertilizer research education program to really help expand tremendously the education about um, improving the efficiency of nitrogen fertilizer our California Grown Program, and establishing the Ag Literacy License Plate, which supports great organizations like FFA and 4-H and Ag Leadership and School Gardens and many, many other things. So um, there's lots to be proud of, and and I have great people that have helped make it possible.
2: Yeah, well, thank you for all the good work that you do. In uh, in the last moment or two, uh, is there anything in particular you would like to share? Otherwise, I'll fire another question at you.
3: <laughs> you. You can ask all the questions you want to, Anka. It's been too long since I've seen you.
2: <laughs> all right. Well, driving to work this morning, I hear on the radio that your boss is on his way to China tomorrow. And uh-huh. it's, been big, it's been a big news day. And um, are there any agricultural, California agricultural implications associated possibly with that visit and uh, the topics that they'll be discussing?
3: Well, c- certainly we were happy to provide um, some, uh, uh, you know, briefing points for the, the governor about some of the trade issues and opportunities um, between California and China. China has grown in a fairly short period of time to being one of our top export markets um, we we have found on all of the delegations that I've taken to China that they they love California both to come visit and for the flavors of California they really enjoy California products um, and we've had we've hosted a number of Chinese delegations who are very interested in how we have advanced innovation and become such an agricultural powerhouse and understanding you know our whole infrastructure of our um, great UC system and CSU system and and cooperative extension, but they're really interested in how do we bring that same kind of innovation to our farming and ranching community in China. So, I'm I'm really excited that the governor is is going back to China. It's been five years ago, I think, that we were all part of a very large delegation, um, and I and I think that you know these kind of partnerships really matter and they're important. Um, beyond just the business relationships, and academia is one of the first and best ways that we can create really strong, robust partnerships for the future. Secretary Ross, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for all that you do
4: for us as citizens of the state of California. Keep up the good work, and please, if uh, we can help in any way, feel free to call us and ask us questions.
3: Thank you for all your support and being a great um, part of our business community of California. Thank you very much.
2: Have a good evening.